What is up, Knoll Nation? It's Jesse from Plant the Spear here for another episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Michael is away this week, but I am joined by a good friend of mine, Jeff Rains, guy who's been covering Florida State for a long time, actually kind of helped get me into the game. He actually was the first person to convince me to show my face on YouTube. So I owe him credit uh, for kind of helping me get this whole thing rolling. But you know, I'm excited. We're going to break down some stuff today across multiple sports going on at Florida State. We've got some interesting topics that I think you guys are really going to enjoy hearing about. Uh, but before we start, Jeff, how are you, my friend? Thank you for joining me, brother. I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. It's, it's been a while since I've been yeah. in front of a camera. You know, it's it's kind of it's, once you it's kind of like riding a bike, but sometimes you're still a little nervous whenever you're back in front of it. Oh yeah, I, I, if I tried to ride a bike right now, I'd probably I could do it, but I'd probably fall off at least once because it's it's been quite a while. But yeah, guys. So in this episode, we're going to talk about football to start with. Obviously, uh, you know, there's been some numbers released lately about returning production in college football, and of course, we know last year Florida State had. I think there was number two in returning production, depending on where you look. And we know that that paid off well uh, for FSU. However, this year we know they've lost a lot of production. So we're going to talk about how Florida State can still be good without missing a step, bringing back the production uh, and adding pieces through the portal. How important is this returning production? And can they go into 2024 without missing a step based on what they did through the portal? Then we're going to do a primer for baseball season that is coming up right around the corner. Excited for year two under Link Jarrett. I think they can have a, a bounce back season. And then, of course, we're going to talk about, you know, the dynasty at, at Florida State that is FSU softball. And, uh, you know, the, no matter if you're if you're all FSU for sports or you just like football, you have to appreciate that softball team because, man, they are just amazing. So uh, before we jump into this, because y'all know if you listen to this show, I forget every single time. I'm going to go ahead and hit this ad read real quick from today's sponsor. You can see it on the screen if you're watching on YouTube, Alumni Hall FSU. These guys just opened a new location in Tallahassee at 1415 Timberlane Road, and it is loaded with FSU gear. So you guys go check them out, or you can order online and have it shipped to your door. Either way, you're getting 10% off by using Code Spear online or in-store. Just tell them we sent you if you go by there, and we appreciate you guys for supporting those that support us. So, Jeff, let's jump into this football. Now, I saw Bill Connolly from ESPN S&P Plus put out some numbers the other day just kind of talking about the – the uh, you know how many teams are, are bringing back X amount of production and and it's an ESPN Plus article you know we don't like ESPN over here at, in, at Florida State so I'm not paying for ESPN Plus but I did see the top 25 teams Florida State was not listed in it we know they lost a lot I got some numbers for you here but here's a discussion that I want to have now we know I, I think when you look at 2024 I think a good comparison season is 2021. When they came into 2021, Florida State did. They came in with a lot of guys that you know we felt could be good if they lived up to their potential, but we had not really seen it on the field yet. You had a guy like Trey Benson that had, I think, six carries coming into the season. A lot of people really didn't even want them to take Trey Benson because of the knee injuries and things like that. Johnny Wilson, I believe, had around 237 yards at Arizona State the year before he arrived at FSU. A lot of people, you know, he thought teams weren't even going to approach him in the portal. And so then he turns out to have a big year there as well at FSU. So you don't always have to come into the season with loaded uh, returning production. And I think this has changed, too, over the last few years. When you talk about the transfer portal era, it has really just changed how, you know, you don't really have to rely on unproven high school talent anymore. You can have a guy step in from the portal that has proven production. It just may not have came on your roster. 
And so the reason the, the, the where I want to go with this for our numbers is just looking at some of the offensive numbers. Now, Florida State's got a lot to replace. There is no beating around the bush with that. But the numbers I'm about to share with you is how much in passing, rushing, and receiving, how much Florida State has lost, and then how much of that percentage they've replaced through the portal. Not total percentage, but of the percentage they lost. So when you look at passing last year, obviously we know Jordan Travis, Tate Rotomaker are both out. Um, you know, Jordan's out of eligibility, and then Tate hit the portal. But you bring in DJU, so they lose 92.8% of passing production. That sounds pretty scary. That's a big hill to climb. But you bring in DJU, and you look at what he did at Oregon State, and you're replacing 80.8% of the yards that you lost. So really, you're only coming in at losing about 12% of the production yardage that you had. And if you guys know me, you know, I don't care where the production comes from. I don't care if, you know, if, if Weymouth Jenston slides a helmet on, sneaks out there and throws the ball for Florida State. It doesn't matter to me. As long as you produce the yards, it don't matter. Now, rushing, Florida State lost 65.8% of their production but they're replacing 55.9%. That's with Roydell Williams. And then you also add in Jalen Lucas coming in, uh, you know, and some of these guys, uh, some of the other guys that they brought in. That's also accounting for DJU's numbers as well. Receiving, we got the biggest hole to climb out of here. They lost 64.3%. So they didn't lose all of it, but they only were able to replace 20.6%. So there's still a big gap to make up. Now, we know they brought back pretty much their entire offensive line, which is good to see there. But the thing is here, you've been able to replace a lot of that production. And, and you know, I'll kick it you on this one, Jeff. But I think when you talk about how important is returning production, it is important because that is what took Florida State from a 10-win team to a 13-win team last year. But they still came into 2022 and doubled their win total. You know, when you look at going from a five-win team to a 10-win team based on a lot of players that didn't really have a whole lot of production. So to me, I think it's more about the quality of production that you're bringing back and how you are able to replace it in the portal. Because when you look at the peeps, the pieces that they're replacing, and this is no dish against the guys that, that are on the way out, but when you look at it purely from like a, a star ranking, uh, you know, looking at 247 composite rankings, the roster is actually more talented this year than it was before. The pieces that you're working with have a higher ceiling potential. Of course, that has to translate on the field, but that's kind of my thoughts, man. It's more about quality than quantity and how you're able to report, replace it in the portal because it is different now. It's just a different game. And so I'll let you share some thoughts on that. I think, it, I mean, it is important. And the thing is, I mean, you look at, I mean, look at 2020 when Mike Norvell got here. Then you look at 2021, he started setting that foundation of, a, using the transfer portal, which was the biggest thing he could have done. And just the quality pieces, because, you know, when recruits and when transfers come in, it ain't – I mean, I can tell you, you know, when you go to Alabama as a transfer portal player or a recruit or something, it's not about are you going to fit this. You know, they're looking for a certain stereo – I'm say stereotype, but a certain typical player. Mike Norvell's looking for a fit for his offense. For all that. I mean, you look at it, I mean – Jermaine Johnson, just on the defensive side, at Georgia, if he had stayed at Georgia, would he have been a first-round pick? You know, probably not. Pro yeah, probably, probably not. Um, I mean, you just look at it. Uh, Jamie Robinson, when he was at South Carolina, he wouldn't have been a probably a draft pick at all. The returning production, because they build him through, is what is really the biggest thing for me, and especially when it comes to the passing game, like you had mentioned. You, you said it was going to take a big step back. And really, I think 
this past year, it was kind of hindered by the passing game. You know, you had Johnny Hurt and all that. But I think with what we got coming back this coming up year, I think you're going to see a bigger boom with the passing game. I agree. You know, I think, honestly, the returning production is – granted, it's not the numbers we want, but it's – you look at from 21 to 22 – just the quality of production. Like you say, you don't care where it comes from, and neither do I. I mean, Ja'Kai Douglas, to me, is one of our best receivers, and he was out injured, you know. And just the production he does, just coming back, that adds to it. You add DJU, and really, I mean, kind of the the run threat he gives, along with that cannon he's got, Take away, you know, we may not have the the best receivers, so to say, people say, but I think that the production is going to be have a greater leap this year than what we've seen last year, even with the fall off because of the quality of player. Right. And, and I totally agree with that because, you know, I mean, again, now we don't have a six, seven guy anymore. That that was a threat in its own. But, you know, there were some inconsistencies there. And then when uh, Keon Coleman, who was a dynamic receiver and a great game changer for Florida State, but when he was banged up towards the end of the season, the production kind of lagged a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, you may not have stats on paper for guys like a Malik Benson or a, a Jalen Brown who comes in from LSU. But the thing about those guys is, is they have a really high ceiling. They just haven't really got in there in the game enough to make an impact. I mean, first off, you know, Malik Benson is a guy that I'm extremely excited about. When you talk about a guy that can take the top off a of defense and having a quarterback in DJU with a cannon, like you mentioned, that can hit that guy, that can that can hit him on the routes. Because it felt like last year, I think what we really lacked was speed at the receiver position outside of a guy like Ja'Kai when he was, you know, while he was out, like he was injured, like you mentioned. Because it felt like, to me anyway, that when you had Pokey, you had a guy who could take the top off the defense and you would see where he would just be 10 yards ahead of a DB and you just drop it in a bucket and he takes it in for a touchdown. It felt like last year was more kind of throw it up and go get it type of balls. And so I think that's why this year they brought in a ton of speed at the receiver position. It's just not really proven yet, but I, again, you have that, that kind of a higher talent floor. And so if you can get that production to translate over, I think that's going to be great. Again, it doesn't matter the name on the back of the jersey as long as they can produce. And the thing I like is now, too, with the portal, not everybody, like I touched on earlier, not everybody is an unseasoned high school recruit coming right out that, that you just haven't seen yet. These A lot of these guys that come in as transfers have either kind of gotten on the field in sparing roles I mean, look at Malik Benson. He played a lot. He just had Jalen Milrose as quarterback. So there wasn't, all, you know what I mean? That, that's a hindrance in its own right. But yep. you also have guys who have been in the college strength and conditioning program for at least a season or two or more. So they're ready to contribute physically in year one. And, you know, here's the thing, too. Again, if we had 90% returning production, that would be great. But it's the quality of production. Hypothetically, let's say you have 100% returning pr- production from a team that went 0 and 12. But you had 50% returning production from a team that went 12 and 0. I mean, I think it's there's no question on which production you would take. And so I went and looked at some numbers here. Of the top 10 teams in returning production from 2023, only 50% of them had a better winning percentage than the previous year. Only three teams reached 10 wins, and only two of them won their conference. But when you look at the top 10 portal classes from 2023, because you know everybody likes a dog Florida State for relying on transfers. Eight of the top 10 teams had a better winning percentage than the previous year. 
And the and one of the two that didn't was within one win, and that was UCLA. They went, I think it was like nine and five to or nine and four to nine and five. So again, it's about who you can replace that production with. Yeah. It, now there is something to be said about continuity. It's nice to have multiple years in the system to be comfortable with the plays, to to have that uh, you know, the relationship with the quarterback and the receivers, the timing down. But most of these transfers are already on campus and working. So they have all spring, all summer, all fall to get on the same page and learn this playbook. So, yeah, man, I mean, again, to me, I, I think it's all about who you can replace these guys with and can they live up to that potential? Because as you mentioned, even when you looked at Jermaine Johnson, that was a guy and Jamie Robinson. It was like, OK, these guys have potential. But for Florida State to be good, to be what we think they can, they need to produce to the level that we feel their potential is at. And they did, and they had a good season. I, I mean, I thought Jermaine Johnson would be good. I didn't think he'd be that good. And so, like, if you can have some of these guys live up to that potential, and let's be honest, not everybody probably will, but we've seen where this staff has a really, really good uh, high-level ability to identify guys. They have a high hit rate in the portal. That's what I'm getting at. You don't have a lot of busts in the portal. But if you can just get one, two, three of these guys – to produce at that potential or higher, I think this offense can really be explosive in 2024 and can probably be better. I mean, we didn't run the ball extremely well last year like we did in 2022. That was an issue. I know offensive line health was a, was a big part of that, and they brought in some guys to help with depth there. Uh, you know, you also you didn't have a very deep receiver room when you talk about guys that kept getting hurt. I mean, you know, as much as I love Portier and Darian Williamson, those guys can't stay on the field because of injuries. So I think health permitting, if you can stay healthy, I think this offense could be more explosive in 2024. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, if you look just at the ranking numbers, you know, I mean, that's kind of a good median or kind of good judge and gauge of that. I mean, rushing yards this year, we were at what I think. Yards per rush was 4.4. The year prior, we were at, I think, 5.47. I mean, that just an extra yard or two is a difference in a game. And like you said, the continuity, I mean, you're looking at an offensive line that year before, this this year coming in, it was kind of a gutted thing. You know, it was, you had Keandre Jones from Auburn that first year in our system. You had Casey Roddick first year in the system. The offensive line, just like the defensive line, that's two positions that it takes a while to yeah. build, you know, that growth and that trust. I mean, look at Dylan Gibbons. How many years was he here as a grad transfer before we all was like, dude, when we lose him, we're losing a great player. Right. You know, I mean, just – and honestly, just just me talking just about it, I honestly think the offense is going to produce better this year because, honestly, I think J-Trav last year – and Mike Norvell, they kind of was handcuffed in the playbook a little bit. I mean, you've seen – I mean, how many times in a game did we see Jordan always look for that deep pass yep. to to Johnny or Keon when you had Toa Feely in the, on the wheel route, you know, wide open, or you had Destin Hill or Deuce Span, and no matter how, you know, ESPN will say it is called Span, but, you know, open on, underneath route and stuff like that, you know, I think that – and I, I hate to say it like this. I hate with that. I hate that we lost him. But I think losing Johnny Wilson and Keon is going to benefit the passing game more because we're going to distribute the ball more, especially underneath. And if you go back and watch Norvell when he was at Memphis, when he was at Arizona State, he loves the wheel routes, the mesh routes, 
you know, once he starts hitting you underneath, he's going to open up on top then. And like you said, we went and got some speed. I mean, Malik, yeah. uh, Malik Benson, top-notch speed. You look at – and we've got Vandravius Jacobs. I mean, they say he's one of the fastest on the team. Uh, what's the boy from Indiana, Lucas? Yeah, um, extremely I fast. Mean, yeah, I mean, so – I think that's going to help him. And with the offensive line coming in this year, having another year with Adkins, because that was kind of my thing last year was we couldn't get the run game going. And I, I would blame it on Trey Benson thinking, saying he was, you know, Fred Flintstone in it to the hole, just soft touching it. Sometimes it was, you know, last year in 2022, we used the counter quite a bit. And that was Trey Benson's bread and butter. You know, that's how he got his breakaway, all of his – you know, busted open plays. This past year, we didn't run it much because the offensive line, you know, the ga- the guards couldn't pull fast enough. Right, yep. So so it was busting through. And I think this year, I mean, like we said, you know, production-wise, numbers is good and all they have coming back, but it's the quality of it. And I think another year, especially these offensive linemen and stuff coming in with, with Norvell and Atkins in the system, I think the offensive side is uh, is going to be take a giant step forward. I'm more worried about the defensive side. Yeah, and I want to touch on a few things that that I think you made really good points. Is one, when you talk about the skill positions in the quarterback, you can do a lot of seven on seven throughout the spring and the summer to really get that timing down. But offensive line is somewhere where that continuity has to be built. It has to pay off. It takes years. You can, it, offensive line is harder to plug and play than maybe a receiver or or the quarterback position, but that's the positive of bringing back almost your entire offensive line. Like you mentioned, is you now have these guys, one, you have more depth, so guys don't have to play through injury as much. You have another year in the system, so they're able to kind of run things better and more smoothly. And I think if you can get that type of, if you can open the thing, open things up in the run, then that will help out with the pass too, naturally. So they got to be able to run the ball this year. And I think they will be better at it. I think obviously Norvell likes to play to his strengths. I think at the same time, you also knew that this team was special. You knew they had a very high ceiling. You knew what they could accomplish. And you knew that hinged on Jordan Travis being available. You knew that was something that you could not afford to lose him. And, I mean, they still won without him. But, you see, it got a lot worse on offense. So, he didn't run the ball a lot. They protected him. And he played injured when he uh, for most of the season. So, I think now having, one, a guy like DJ who's a little bit you know more built like a tank that can be able to give you a little bit more in the run game, that can help open things up. I think, too, you also feel better about your backup situation. I think you feel better about turning to Brock Glenn in, in case of an emergency after another year than you did turning to Tate Rotomaker. So I think you can kind of gamble a little bit more with a bigger, more uh, built-to-run quarterback and a better backup situation. I think also something that people probably went, what? When, when you said, like, I think losing Johnny and Keon could improve the pass game. You know, it's funny because I did a, a episode on concentrated targets in the pass game. And there's proven recipes out there from when you look at like 2019 LSU and and some of the other really, really good offenses. 2013 Florida State was another one where they didn't spread the ball out a lot. They had a lot of or they had a couple of really good guys that they really focused their targets in on and they still were able to win. And so my case was when everybody was kind of like, man, we only throw it to three guys. We throw it to Jaheim, we throw it to Johnny and we throw it uh, to to, um, Keon. And I was like, but you can still win like that. 
Well, the problem is that works until those guys aren't available. And so, you know, that's that was the concern. And I think the prime example of that is when you look at the pit game. You didn't have two of those guys there. They spread the ball out a little bit more. And lo and behold, Jordan threw for the most yards that he did the entire season without his two best receivers. So I think you are onto something there. I think if you have where you have more targets that can be the ball can be spread out for, you can take more advantage of the route trees in the playbook. I think that is a good example of why the offense can be more explosive next year because you can spread it around more. You can run the ball better with that bigger running quarterback in a better backup situation with more continuity on the offensive line. Now, flipping over to the defense, like you mentioned, that's where I'm a little bit concerned because it's the quality of the pieces that you're having to replace, especially when you talk about a Jared Verse, a Fabian Lovett, a Braden Fisk, who, by the way, that dude is a dog and he has been showing out in the senior bowl like his draft stock has went through the roof now you've got some good pieces that you've brought back i like a lot of the guys that you've brought in but it doesn't feel like you got a lot of the the real high-end pieces you just got a deeper group of really solid college football players you know the the uh oregon state transfer the west virginia transfer all these guys are good players but they're not jared verse and, and can they live up to that that billing. And also when you look at a uh, Marvin Jones Jr., that's a guy who, again, star ratings, five star coming out of high school. Jared Verse was a zero star. So you have the higher talent level on paper, but he has not produced like Jared Verse has yet. So it's just really about can that potential translate into production? And if it can, I think you'll be great. You'll be fine. I personally would like to see them add another defensive tackle. I know they had the Auburn linebacker, Cam Riley, uh, uh, for a visit recently. The guy's a 100-plus tackler at Auburn last year. Please, if you guys can make that happen, that would be amazing as well. But, you know, I, I still think you need a couple pieces there. But I think the defense can be good. I just think it's going to be a little bit more of a guessing game with the defense because you do have some pieces to replace there that are a little bit more high-end. I think Jerrion Jones, Renardo Green, were two, and Akeem Dent were two really – underappreciated pieces on uh, on that defense yeah but i mean you look at the defense like you mentioned you know renardo green um jarian jones i mean those were guys that came in to this system was it it was the first transfer class right. you know it was the 2021 transfer class with fabian lovett you know with a kier thomas i you know so they had time to develop right and i think that and the defensive line to me is where I'm most worried about. Linebackers, I hope we get the one. I mean, I will I will forgive all my Auburn Tiger fans because I live in Alabama for the Keldrick Falk flip. Yeah. Last, you know, if we just get this yeah. linebacker. I mean, I'm yep. just saying, you know, I mean, my wife's an, a former Auburn fan. I got an Auburn blanket on the back of my couch I don't sit on. But, you know, um, the defensive line is what worries me because – in that Georgia game, and, you know, it's all – you know, we can talk stats and all that all day, but really it's the eye test. You know, and we've seen that difference from a Georgia – when granted, we were down to our Pop Warner team. But the difference in strength and depth yeah. was, was shown in that. I mean, and I didn't – I watched probably 20 minutes of the game because I seen the score and I was like, I, I can't watch, you know, it's like old yeller. You can't watch what happens at the end of old yeller. Right. And, um, but what gets me is we do have Josh farmer coming back. You know, yep. we got Daryl Jackson, you know, they didn't show a lot in the, in the orange bowl, but I mean, who would have against that offensive line? Right. You know, 
we've got Patrick Payton. Now, that's the one that's really got me interested and peaked because you look at what he was doing opposite of Jared Verse all year last year. You know, how is he going to take that step forward in production when everybody knows he's our number one defensive end? Yep. He's the one to watch coming around that edge. You know, can Marvin Jones Jr. on the other side pull a Jermaine Johnson, you know, coming from Georgia and just being dominant off the other side? That's what worries me because our stopping of the run game up until Jordan got hurt and the defense finally pinned their ears back and played that defense we all knew they could. Up until then, the run game would just eat us up, you know. And, I mean, who was was Lundy our leading? No, I think Dent was our leading tackler. You know, if you're having a safety or a cornerback as your leading tackler, something's wrong. Right. You know, and then you watch this. After Jordan got hurt, the defense pinned their ears back, and then you've seen Braden, you know, Fisk. You've seen uh, Peyton. You've seen Verse start leading the team in tackles in the games. That's what worries me is this defensive line with the pieces we lost what's the pieces coming in is going to do. You know, that's just the only thing yep. that worries me with it. Yeah, because I think that the secondary was good in their own right to later in the season. I mean, they they were pretty good. Now, granted, they didn't face a ton of great quarterbacks. I know you had the Heisman winner in there. They did really good against him. But at the same time, like when, when Akeem Dent was out, the, the secondary struggled. When he came back to kind of quarterback that defense, they were pretty good. But that defensive line was really what made this defense so special last year. And I think you touch on a good thing when you talk about strength and depth. Now, Josh Farmer is turned into a grown man. I mean, he came in, I think he was like a 245-pound linebacker, and now he, he's a hoss. You also bring in Daryl Jackson. I give him a little bit of a, of a you know, kind of a pass in the Georgia game because it was your first game back after basically not playing for a year. But at the same time, you know, I, I thought it would have been nice to see a little bit more from him in that one. So you kind of hope that he can turn into the billing because they've said in practice for those that get to watch it, they've said that, you know, obviously there's times where he just disrupted practice. They could almost not run it because he was so dominant. And then there was days where it wasn't quite that way, but it's the depth that concerns me because you bring in Grady Kelly. Now, who knows? I mean, when you bring in Braden Fisk, everyone's like, okay, Western Michigan guy, extremely productive there. That's good. I don't know that anyone expected him to turn into what he did. Can Grady Kelly be that guy? Because you also lose a Malcolm Ray. And to me, that's more of a Malcolm Ray equivalent there with, with Grady Kelly. So that's why I say I think for the defensive line, I would like to see another piece get added through the portal. I don't know if they're pursuing that. I think if, if one fell in their lap, that was a dominant guy. I think they would obviously take it because it's just, you know, they rotated so much last year. And, and that's something that Norvell said they wanted to focus on because they looked at what all the teams that had been winning championships, the Georgias, the Bamas, how they managed that defensive line. And it would frustrate some people when you have a second or a third string guy, you know, not, and I hate to say it like that because they're all rotational pieces, but playing in the first quarter, you're like, man, what are we doing here? But then late in the game, they would just overwhelm people when they were had fresh bodies. Can you be able to rotate that? You know, and even the player said that, like, yes, it helps them stay fresh throughout the season, help them perform better across the span of a season. Now, some of your depth are like the Keith Sampson kids that, that have signed, but you haven't really seen them play. And, and there's some guys that we feel good from the high school ranks, but again, you're replacing some really dominant pieces on the defense. So, yeah, man, I, I totally agree with you. I think when you look at the offense, I think the pieces that you're bringing in are very, are, compatible to what you need to run the the offense Norvell likes to run. You got a lot of speed, a lot of options, a lot of variety. 
But when, when it comes to the defense, I think that you have brought in some good pieces. Look, I love Earl Little Jr. I think that's going to be a, an absolute dog in the secondary. I think he's going to step right into that Jerry on Jones role. But you got to replace an experienced safety. And right now, you're going to have to go with probably Conrad Hussey, a guy who has flashed as a freshman. But, you know, it, it, there's he's not played a lot. And, and so, you, or you, you might look at a Kevin Knowles who. Uh, I'm neither here nor there on that. Uh, we'll just leave that one alone. <laughs> but, you know, but there's – you got Fentral Cypress, so you have some experience. You have some guys who can kind of, you know, take the younger guys by the hand and show them the ropes. Uh, I obviously think that when you look at linebacker, yes, it would be nice to get that extra piece in there because you do bring in the Alabama transfer, but he didn't play a ton of Alabama either. Now, I will say what I do like about the pieces that they brought in. You know, we talked about this um, on a past episode where – Florida State was able to do a lot with guys that came in from middle tier programs, South Carolinas, uh, you know, Mississippi States, things like that. Now you're bringing in guys that come in for programs like LSU, Alabama, all these high level players. And, you know, for whatever people want to make of the deal about taking a, a quote unquote backup or rotational player, it, they have so much talent stacked at positions at some of those schools. It You don't just walk on the field and play as a freshman or a sophomore. And if a guy like Nick Saban, you know, as much as we love Bobby, the most accomplished coach in college football history, if he, if he, if these kids pass his recruiting sniff test, then that means they're good. And so I think if you can get them integrated into your system in time, I think there could be an adjustment period. I think that's why last year you saw some of the slower starts for Florida State was you just had a lot of pieces that had to get acclimated to the system. You got to learn how to work together. And so that's going to be crucial for this year to get everybody on the same page. But again, I think the talent level overall, when you look at this roster, has continued to rise. And that's why I think they have the potential to be better. I don't think this is, you know, everybody said before, and again, you can't really say anything about a roster until after portal season because we know this staff can completely transform the roster. But this was going to look like it was going to be a rebuild year. Now it looks like it's more of a reload year. It's just some of the pieces you don't know a whole lot about, but you know they're talented. And if they can produce, it can be a really special season for Florida State. So that's why I'm looking at with the pieces they brought in, if they live up to that potential, if they get on the same page by the season starts, you got a couple of winnable games that you that you like against Georgia Tech that might be a little tougher than you think. Boston College early on, uh, Memphis, which could be a challenge as well too, you know, just with what they did last year, but you have more talent than them. I think if you can kind of get these things rolling by the time you hit a Clemson or by the time you hit that Notre Dame uh, contest on the road, man, I think it can be another special season for Florida State on both sides of the ball, just pending that these guys live up to their potential, just like we saw from going from 2021 to 2022. Yeah, I mean, and you look at the defensive side, you look, we're just going to use Daryl Jackson again as a, as a, you know, as an example. Look at the, the, improvement that Fabian Lovett had first year yeah, under Odell Hagens to second year under Odell Hagens. I mean, look at the, the, you know, growth that Patrick Payton had under Odell Hagens and JP in second year over first year. So you're looking at the growth there and Daryl Jackson. I mean, if, if Fabian Lovett can take that big, huge leap, Daryl Jackson can. And Daryl yeah. Jackson was a highly recruited just monster, you know, coming out of high school. And one thing that gets me, and this is something I tell people all the time, it's funny how, you know, because I, I coach high school football. I had a running back that went to Alabama. He's now a receiver at Alabama. Remember what I just said? He was a running back. Now he's a receiver because they're so deep and so, such depth. But it's funny how keeping the 
you know, Norvell is good about keeping the communication and the relationship. I mean, how many in this portal class was originally recruited by Florida State? If we go right. back and look, you know, yeah. that when things didn't pan out, they're like, well, the grass wasn't greener over here. I'm going back to where I should have been. And now, you know, they've got that, like you said, you know, the first transfer class, it was an Indiana player with, um, what was it? Andrew Parchment as a receiver, you know, or yeah. that was the second one. You had Jay Sean Corbin from A&M. You had Mississippi State. Now, you, like you said, you're getting the LSUs, your Alabamas, who are proven to develop players. Right. And when you have them come into a system like Mike Norvell's building, it's a special thing because you know just from what he's done in the short amount of time he's been here, the way he's flipped the, the culture, the program, and everything that they know in their heart. I mean, the – the West Virginia player, the defensive lineman from West Virginia, during his intro uh, press conference, the, one of the big things he said was, I'm going to be a first-round draft pick because I've seen what JP and what Coach uh, Hagens can do. I mean, that right there tells you. And if I'm looking at my notes right, I mean, we're only returning 8% of our sacks. Yeah. So it's got to step up there. I mean, I, I, and that's why I said Daryl Jackson, another year under Odell, I, I'm worried about it just to run stop. Because, I mean, how many times, Jesse, do – I mean, me and you both will be watching t watching the game in that middle of the first quarter to the end of the first half, we're like, they couldn't stop a cold, you know. Right. And the second half they come out, they'd make adjustments. But I think, you know, and another thing that comes with that is your defensive linemen going in this year, there's not that guaranteed threat with besides Patrick Payton that's going to be double teamed. I mean, after half halfway through the year, they knew they had to double team Fisk. They had to double team Jared, you know, and Patrick off the other side. So it's kind of a three-headed monster. And this year, you don't really have that. You have Patrick Payton that's really proven, and I think it's going to open up a lot more for the defense. I just – I would love to see that run defense improve this year than what it was this past year. And that's hard to say because we were 13-0, and 0, you know. Yeah, yeah. So – no, I agree, man. And like, I, I don't want to necessarily like crap on other schools' coaches because I mean, they get paid a lot of money and they're good coaches. But we know that the coaching staff at Florida State, you know, for whatever people want to say about recruiting and, and this, that, and the other, they can develop. I mean, they can coach. We know that, especially when you talk about Odell. I mean, he's been one of the best defensive tackle coaches for the last 30, 40 years. Mm -hmm. But I, I think what you really have to look at is, what they've been able to do with a kind of lagging talent roster. Like, and, and I don't mean that as a disrespect to any of the players, but when I looked at kind of the difference between like a Mario Cristobal and a Mike Norvell, when we were kind of making a comparison on, on another show uh, with that, you have seen Mario kind of do a lot, uh, do less with more. When you talk about just team talent rankings, you know, Mike Norvell put together a 10 win season and a 13 win season with never having a roster ranked in the top 15 of the 247 talent composite. So that uh, in itself tells you it's a lot to do with coaching and development with some of these guys. And so I think you're right. If you bring in these guys, and, and that's a perfect example with the West Virginia kid that says, look, I've seen what they've done with these guys. I know they can they can turn me into that too. So if they can develop these guys, and you know some of these are multi-year guys, so it, it may not be – at peak efficiency this year, it may be uh, next year down the road, but I do think you're going to have some guys that are going to emerge that are already really good. Like the kid from Oregon state, uh, the Loho Leha kid. Well, he's a grown man. So I should probably say man, <laughs> but like, you know, that's a two time pack 12, all pack 12 selection. He's already good. His sack numbers were a little bit low, 
but the pressure numbers were pretty high. I would assume Florida State has a little bit better coaching than Oregon State. Now, if you want to talk about Alabama, that's obviously a fair conversation that that we're probably maybe a little bit behind on them. But Oregon State, I'm going to go on the limb here and say that I think Florida State's coaching is a little bit better. So if you take a guy who is already productive at a school like that, at a Power 5 school, a two-time all-conference selection, and then you just, like you said, you just tweak them and you give them a little bit of, uh, you know, just improve this skill set and his games. You give them a, a year with uh, Coach Storms, one of the best strength and conditioning coaches in the game. If you can do all that and you can turn these guys, and this is what Mike Norvell says all the time, we just want you to be the best version of yourself. If you can have these players be the best version of themselves, I think the sky's the limit with this team. It's just going to be a little bit of a guesswork to start with. Who's going to emerge as the guy that plays above their head? Who's going to be the guy that maybe doesn't develop quite like we thought? Because it's certainly a possibility. I mean, they have an insane hit rate in the portal. But there have been a few misses here and there, but those are mostly like from smaller school guys. These are what they're getting are power five guys that have tape against power five opponents. So you know pretty much what you're getting in some of these guys. So, yeah, man, I'm, I'm all in on this 2024 roster. I think it's going to be, you know, there's going to be a little bit of a, of a wait and watch period to see who does emerge, who does become the dominant force on both sides of the ball. But at the same time, I think when you just look at the pure talent level, other than, I mean, it's going to be hard for anybody to replace Jared Verse. It's going to be hard for anybody to replace a Braden Fist. Those guys played out of their minds last year. Kalen Deloach is a really solid linebacker. You know, those are guys that are going to be hard to replace for any team. But I think the pieces that you are replacing them with is, is very, very on the same page of what you need to do to get to the type of season that you had last year. And that's something that I talked about at quarterback. You know, we love Jordan. I Jordan's one of my favorite FSU players of all time. I just on off field, off the field, all that stuff. I just I have, have become a huge fan of Jordan Travis. But when you look at the production comparison between DJ, uh, DJU, and what and what Jordan did, it's almost identical. It's almost a carbon copy of that production. And again, if that recipe, that level of production, got you to thirteen and zero. I mean, if you can copy and paste it, then you have to feel like that can put you in the conversation for an ACC championship and a run at the playoffs. And I think they brought in the pieces necessary. I think that you you will be able to open some things up. And, and again, when you talk about experience at the right positions, I think that's another big conversation when you talk about returning production. You bring back almost your entire starting offensive line. You add some pieces that are experienced. The Florida kid has a lot of starts under his belt. Uh, and then you look at DJU, the most important position on, on the field. The guy has 40 power five starts. So I think you've brought in production to replace what's what you're missing, what you've lost. I think you've, added the production and you've brought back the pieces at the right positions and the positions where you can kind of take a little bit more of a guesswork approach. You've brought in a higher level of talent, you know, and again, that's not a dish on anyone who just left, but you brought in a lot of speed and dynamic players. And I think, I think overall this roster may not have as high end of talent at certain positions when you talk about proven players, but I think your overall quality level of depth outside of defensive tackle and linebacker, which again, there's another portal session that they could of course add players with. And you could lose some players in that too. But I think overall, you're, like defensive end, perfect example. You may not be as good at defensive end as you were last year when you account for losing uh, Jared Verse, but you're deeper. I mean, when you got past your first two, you, you were looking at Gilbert Edmond and Byron Turner. I like the pieces that you have this year to be better for that. I like, I mean, I don't know who's going to actually be the, the starter. Is it going to be the Oregon State transfer, uh, you know, or 
uh, Marvin Jones Jr. But either way, I like either one of them coming in off the bench versus any of your options last year. So I think you have that deeper uh, well to dig out of too. So that's really kind of our, our thoughts on this and how we feel about this overall 2024 and why even though they're losing a lot of production, they can still be really good. And I saw, I think the number one team in the country is Virginia Tech in, in returning production. And that's great. That's why I think Virginia Tech, a program like that, it's going to help put them where they want to be. It's going to help put them in the best position possible. But I think when you look at what Florida State has done in the portal and you look at the pieces that they're able to bring in, I think you can kind of weather them losses a little bit better than a team that wasn't quite able to do what – Florida State was able to do in the portal. They weren't able to replace at the same rate and quality that Florida State was. So that's why I'm excited about this. And that's why I think like Louisville is going to be good. They lose some pieces. They killed it in the portal. They're going to do well. So, you know, I think that's that's just really kind of – I just wanted to share some thoughts on that because I saw the, the returning production numbers come out yesterday. And, you know, everyone thinks Florida State's going to take this big step back. I don't see it. I think I think 2024 is going to be a reload year more than it's going to be a rebuild year just because of what you've been able to do in the portal. Because, again, you can transform your roster overnight. You can get ready-made starters in the portal that can replace that production. So, Jeff, I don't know if you have any more final thoughts on, on what you see 2024 being from a, from a re, uh, rebuild and now being a reload type of season. Uh, but I'll let you share some final thoughts, and then we'll move on to uh, some baseball and softball primers. No, I'm kind of with you on that. You know, it's – I've said it for a while just talking to people that cover Florida State that I'm friends with, you know, that I think this year, like I said earlier, is going to be a better year actually in my eyes because I think Norvell will be able to open the playbook up. You know, Jordan didn't run the ball as much as we we would have liked to have seen him. DJ Uyungule, you know, he's not afraid to – if that first read ain't open, take off, you know. And we've seen our most dangerous Jordan Travis win that first read wasn't – there in 2022 and he would take off you know that opened up the run game opened up the pass game i think that you know and like you said everybody you listen to on podcasts and all that you know to cover florida state they always say this was going to be a buffer year this is going to be a buffer year and like you brought up brought up it's a it's a reload year right because when jermaine johnson got drafted and jared verse coming in we didn't know what jared verse was going to be yep you know we didn't know what, you know, when Tatum Bethune came from UCF, we didn't know what he was going to be, you know. And now, I mean, he's got a pitcher spearing a Heisman Trophy winner. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, we didn't know what these players were going to be. And you put them in the right coaching staff, like you said, the right development, Coach Storms and uh, Coach Dowdy, who's a good friend of mine on Facebook, they pushed these players. And that was the difference, you know is the conditioning. I don't know how many said during their initial tour of duty that that was one of the hardest things they've dealt with as a football player is what Coach Storms then put them through. But you've seen it, you know, Louisville game to be a great example. When that defense had to bow up there and win the game for us, you know, we were fresh. We, were, we weren't tired. It, it took over. But, I mean, I think this year coming up, I, where everybody's going to sit there and say, you know, it's going to be a down year and – it's going to stink and we're going to, you know, we're not going to be as good. You know, we ain't going to be able to sell out our stadium, which granted it's because of construction. Right. But um, I think a lot of people are going to eat their words on that because I think it's going to be a reload. And, you know, when it ain't a rebuild, it's a reload. We're more dangerous because yeah. I think coach Norvell going into this year. And that's why I not, this will be my final little thing on it. I think the snub is a blessing to us because I think Coach Norvell being disrespected the way this program was, 
has put it in. I mean, there's been recruits that said they're coming here because we got snubbed. I think with that mindset, with the conditioning, with the what we got returning back, what we got coming in, I hate to say it like this, but hell hath no fury than Mike Norvell scorn, you know, <laughs> yeah. because yeah. you better watch it. I agree, man. I, like, I know that he had gray in 2022 and then black last year because we thought he was delivering everybody a funeral. And I'm like, I don't even know what color he's going to wear next year. Like, maybe a bright red for, like, hell coming with him because, man, I think he's just going to be out for blood next year. Maybe that's why he wears, like, a blood red suit or something like that on game oh, yeah. day because I think he's going to be he's going to be fierce and he's going to try to bury people. And, and, you know, we don't we don't necessarily waste talent like that school down in Moral Gables. Uh, I, I, we, we do more. With, with what we got. And so I think the development, now you're going to need some guys that are going to end up being dudes. You're going to need them to translate. You're going to need that, that kind of unknown prospect like the, like the Jared verse and those guys to step up. But I think if you get that, this is going to be a very special year for Florida state. And, and I think when you look at the schedule, it's very manageable as well. I think you, you know, outside of Clemson, and I mean, I hate to say it, but when you just look at blue chip ratio outside of Clemson, Florida and Miami, who you beat all of last year, you're more talented than everybody else on your schedule. And you know you have a really good coaching staff that can take advantage of that talent. So, yeah, man, I think it's going to be a reload year. And then I think once if you have another successful season, you see what high school recruiting is doing, you see what they're doing in the portal. If you can put a lot of these guys in the draft, that's going to be another big sell to transfers going forward. You can just see the momentum rolling and how this thing can really turn into – into you know, I don't want to go quite to say dynasty, but I, I, you can really see how this can be the Florida State of old when you talk about just that sustained success year over year over year because people don't realize how much of a hole they had to dig out of when he first got here. And so now that you've got the success, you see the momentum that it carries, and I think that it's going to be another great year in 2024. And, of course, we'll revisit all this after the spring portal season. Who goes, who comes? They're obviously way over the scholarship limit right now, so there's going to have to be some attrition, and they will probably add some more pieces. So with that being said, guys, it is about to be round ball season, not counting basketball, which, you know, that's that's a my that kind of tests my blood pressure a little too much to talk about on, on this show. Uh, they're a little inconsistent. One minute you think they're going to do something great, the next minute they just blow it all. So the two sports that we're going to talk about next, we're going to do a little bit of a season primer for baseball and then softball because – you know, this is what's going to carry us over into next football season. I've, obviously, after the spring gets underway and that gets wrapped up, it's just kind of a, a little bit of a dry spell there for, until you get to football season. So we're going to start with baseball because I, I know Jeff's a, a big baseball guy. I like baseball myself. I'm, a, I'm an FSU baseball fan. Um, I will be honest. I don't I can't really get a whole lot into the nuts and bolts. And, and so, you know, I, we're going to kind of just do a season primer, talk about what went wrong last year what they did to fix it and how it can be better this year. But I do want to say, I, I know this happened in the middle of an episode last week and we just kind of, we, we just did what we could on the fly, but I want to take a minute to give just a, a proper um, honoring of Mike Martin senior. I, I think that would be the right thing to do before we talk about the baseball season. Um, obviously you have literally the, the, the winningest coach in baseball history, over 2000 wins, 40 wins in 40 uh, consecutive seasons, 17 college World Series appearances, multiple, multiple conference titles from when they played in the Metro Conference to the ACC. I mean, he put Florida State baseball on the map. And not only that, he was one of the best human beings. When you talk about just being a friendly person in the dugout, uh, a friendly person with the fans, the media, everything, you know, he, he really 
didn't even care to talk about baseball sometimes. He might just want to talk about, you know, playing golf or, or whatever the case may be. And and so I really just he's produced a lot of, of great players through Florida State baseball history. Um, you know, I just again, our thoughts and prayers go out to that family as they deal with this. They have the memorial service coming up uh, this weekend, depending on when you're watching this episode to honor uh, Mike Martin Sr. But I just want to take a few minutes to just say, you know, I, I just thank him for all the contributions that he did for this university. You know, he really I, I think the, the one thing that stands out about Mike Martin Sr. is he loved Florida State. And I think that's where, you know, we as Seminole fans have been blessed to have a couple of really long tenured, great human beings as who also happen to be very high level coaches who also happen to be really good. You know, sometimes you can be a really great person and you're not a great coach. We happen to have both. You had a man who was strong with his family, who was strong in his faith, and he was not ashamed of that. And so I definitely, uh, you know, again, I just want to take a few minutes because I, I told this on the last episode, but it was really Mike Martin and his baseball camps. When my brother used to go when I was a kid, it's that 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 really got me around the Florida State program. And so I almost, I pretty much kind of owe my fandom of Florida State to Mike Martin. And, and so I just, again, I wanted to take a few minutes to just really honor his legacy and, and the life that he lived and the people that he touched and and share our, our thoughts and prayers to his family. And uh, Jeff, I'll let you share any thoughts you have on Mike Martin and his legacy at Florida State before we jump into baseball. I mean, his legacy is is second to none. I mean, you look at the the players, and I've talked to former players, Jeremy Salazar, and he just the respect, the love that he has for that man. I went to his camps growing up um, in high school, met him firsthand. I mean, phenomenal guy. And like you said, you know, Sometimes he didn't even want to talk baseball, you know. Sometimes he he just wanted to know how you were, you right. know, and just see how you were, you know. And it didn't matter if he was a, a young kid or an old old man outside. If you wanted to stop and talk to him for a second when he was walking, you know, away from Dick Hauser Stadium, he'd stop and talk to you. And just that, you know, part of a man, you know, because it's hard. You know, Florida State was blessed with two great godly men at the same time. You know, and that right there tells you that, you know, just the amount of stuff. I mean, and what, what I love the most about him besides, I mean, he'd cut a joke on anybody. You yeah. know, he loved to have fun. But he also despised the Gators. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, he, yep. wouldn't even, he wouldn't even stop in Gainesville to get gas because of that. But, I mean, just what we lost, you know, is second to none. I mean, and I wish he could have went, went out with one – you know, one championship, but I mean, if even though he didn't, he's, it still don't tarnish his, his, you know, the man and the legacy. And you know, I, I wrote a column that I had. I was about to publish on a on a site called The Legend of Eleven. You know, and it was, it's just you know, his whole life. You know, he had a just a story about him. You know, he has a special play area for little kids at the hospital that he paid for, you know, himself with his foundation and stuff. And just the man, man himself, just how selfless he was right away from it. Now, granted, I know I've seen him fired up in the dugout. Yeah, You know, I've yeah. seen him whenever, you know, Buster Posey even told a story, you know, when Buster told him, you know, I got an injury or I'm sick or something. He said, this last, we're going to hear this. Don't speak of it no more. I don't care. You know, <laughs> but the man, he was away from that stadium and away from Florida state baseball was just, 
I mean, Bobby was waiting at the gates and looked at him and, you know, he says about daggum time, you know, because we got two great, and I, I put this on a post on Facebook, you know, Florida State football, Florida State baseball has two great guardian angels looking over them programs now. Oh, a hundred percent. And I think that the, really the thing you, when you look at the two great coaches that we've had in Bobby and Mike Martin, there's not a single person out there, even their, their arch arch rivals in whatever sport they coached, they can't say a bad word about them. You know, it, it's only positive remarks. And that just tells you the type of people that they were. Um, and, and so before we get into baseball, I wanted to uh, just kind of pay homage to his legacy. Um, and again, you know, just wish our best wishes and prayers as they go through this difficult time to the entire Martin family and the FSU baseball community. So now talking about this baseball team in 2024, you know, this, this is a team, again, you want to talk about the legacy of, of Mike Martin Sr., Ling Jarrett, that's a Mike Martin guy. And so he took over this program. And, you know, I, the funny thing about Florida State, man, is, is we are really good for really long stretches. But when we do it bad, man, we do it historically bad. You know, when Willie took mm -hmm. over, we broke the 40-year streak of, of bowl games. When uh, Ham, when he was bad in basketball what last year or whatever, it was historically bad. Last year, you know, unfortunately, they didn't make the postseason. It kind of ended the run there. It was pretty bad. I mean, they were 23 and 31 overall record, but there was a lot of adversity they had to overcome. They lost some important pieces due to injury. And so they had some things to overcome. And then when you look at what uh, Link Jarrett inherited, you know, not to say anything bad about Mike Martin Jr., because I believe he did the best job that he could. From the stories, from the background, it wasn't the most player friendly locker room. And so I think you had you had to kind of resell the vision to some of the guys that you wanted to get in there, uh, you know, to get that talent level up. Now, everybody knew they had a high coaching acumen, so that's why they still recruited at a high level. But, you know, you got to get your guys in. And it's funny to me how you can almost draw a parallel between what Link Jarrett is doing with FSU baseball and what Mike Norvell is trying to do with FSU football. You had to go to the portal. You had to acquire some talent. You had to overcome some things early on with, with some, some, you know, a bad first season out of the gate. But I think this is going to be a bounce back year for the baseball team. Now, in 2023, kind of some of the things that went wrong. We already talked about the injuries. The pitching staff was kind of decimated with the injuries when they lost a couple of key pieces there. Uh, the power in the lineup really lagged. They were last in the ACC in home runs with only 55. Defense was a little inconsistent, and they struck out a lot on offense. But I think when you look at what they've been able to do during the offseason, they have a top five transfer class. They brought in, I believe it was 13 guys total. You also bring in uh, a talented high school class. I believe it was top 10 as well with 13 commits there too. Now, I will say this. You also have some new staff members. Micah Posey comes in as your, as your new pitching coach this year. Uh, he was assistant coach of the year in the conference that they played in at Dallas Baptist. And I went and looked, and this is always good for a pitching coach. Dallas Baptist was number one in strikeouts in their in their conference last year, so that's a big boost as well. I also know that they have a new, um, like a, like a over a like a kind of a program manager guy. Um, his name slipping my mind right now, uh, but you just got a lot of new pieces that you feel good about. And of course, Michael Posey is a guy, a, a Tallahassee guy, um, so you see him make his way back here. I know he's excited to be here as well, and you've just seen an infusion of talent for this baseball roster this year. Now, again, no different than last year. It's going to depend on staying healthy. You you got some guys that you need to pan out, and you also need a lot of this roster to stay healthy. 
you know, because you don't have a ton of depth, but you have a lot better depth than you did last year. And, and I will, you know, talk about the, the pitching staff in general, too. I think last year to this year, not only do you have a much deeper uh, pitching staff this year with a lot of the pieces that you've been able to bring back and add through the portal, but you also get a little bit more variety. And you have some guys who have the potential to be really good. And we'll talk about them in a little bit, but you also have some new tools. I, I've heard some talk about the pitching lab that they have now, uh, which is able to really kind of hone in some of the things that you're, that you're doing with your pitching staff, uh, just to kind of really take that pitch to your, your pitching staff to the next level. That's something that they're excited about as well. Um, and they added a lot of power in this lineup. So I think they should definitely uh, be able to hit a lot more home runs this year. You only had two guys, I believe, in double-digit home runs last year. I think you could have at least four or five guys this year bump that number up into the double digits. So, you know, last year it, it was tough, but we know Link is a good coach. We know that he loves this program and he, he's going to do whatever it takes to get it right. You bring in some new pieces. You infuse this roster with some talent. I think it's going to be a really good year for this program. Now, you have a tough schedule. I won't lie. Some of your, some of your midweeks aren't that tough. But the ACC schedule is a gauntlet, and we'll talk about that later. But I'll let you share some thoughts on kind of what went wrong in 2023 and what they've done to rebound in 2024. Well, I mean, to answer your question, what went wrong? Everything. Yeah. Everything. Much. I mean, you look at Link Jarrett's baseball teams are known for plate discipline, good fielding percentages, you know, and good pitching staffs and being able you know, the offensive side, you didn't have that. I mean, you had an inconsistent pitching staff, you know, and then when you lost Wyatt Crowell to injury, that really put a damper on it because Kirkland, I think, was your th day three starter after that, and he just didn't hold up. He didn't hold up. I mean, I got his stats right here. I mean, he had a 6.86 ERA. That's I mean, tough. that's that's tough. And when you're – you're only relying on three or four pitchers, really. It's hard to do that. And that's where, you know, you've seen it through the years. And I hate to, you know, bring it up. But it's been a downfall through the years. Just the pitching since Parker Messick left year before last, they've went from the best in the ACC to almost dead last in the ACC. You know, if you want to look at that. Um, but what they brought in was, I mean, just on the – I'm just going to talk about the 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 offensive side. I mean, you you mentioned it a second ago. You know, they're going to be able to hit more home runs. You know, case in point. I mean, you have the USF uh, Daniel Cantu, veteran addition from USF. Um, he's likely going to be our first baseman. They're moving James Tibbs from first base. He was injured, so he played first base. Um, back to the outfield. Uh, and last year at USF, he batted. 302 with 14 doubles and 11 home runs. Yeah. You know, then you have, uh, I think it's Drew Farrow, also from uh, this one from, from UCF, and you got Alec uh, Lodaz from UNF. Both of them combined, I mean, I want to say, what's his name? Farrow, 58 games out of 50, had 57 starts, hit it five, uh, 252, 41 runs. Uh, and then he also set the freshman home run record with 15 home runs at UCF. And then, uh, I mean, really, I mean, the other guy was didn't have a lot of stats. He only had tw he had 26 walks. But really, what it is, you're bringing in the power, but 
if you look at what he brought in, look at what they've done at their other programs, Link's bringing in plate discipline. Yeah. People that can draw the walk. People that if you need a long ball, you're going to hit the long ball. You know, because last year, you know, you relied mainly on Cam Smith. You relied mainly on James Tibbs. And that was really it. It was so inconsistent up and down to where Cam Smith comes in. He's still got to grow. But, I mean, he had 12 home runs last year. So, I mean, if the other players can, you know, bring what they had in, you're looking at 60, 70 home runs possibly. I mean, I'm going to say it like that because you've got the power there. And Yeah, yeah, and I was going to say, too, you also get Cam Smith back, and he was just named today uh, Baseball America preseason All-American. You also get Tibbs back, and, and so that's big as well, uh, kind of some of your power guys there. And, you know, you also bring in some transfers, like you mentioned, that, that just give you more depth and, and more opportunity to get guys a look. Um, you know, also the doubles could pick up this year. I mean, I know yeah. they kind of lagged a little bit there in, in how many doubles they hit, too. And so you just – you got to put the ball in play. You got to cut down on the strikeouts. And like you said, Link is big on plate discipline. And I know they, there's been a lot of reports coming back from fall ball that they got some guys, you know, they, they have oh, yeah. some real, they have some guys. And so I think you're going to see an overall, the offense I think should be there for this team. That, that I, I is probably the least amount that I worry about with this team. When you just look at the pieces that they've added, it's can the defense match the output of the offense. And, you know, they lost a lot of close games last year. And, and so they, they need to, and they started hot. I mean, they really did. They started hot with a, a big win over TCU in that series. And then it just kind of really feigned off from there. Of course, the injuries had a lot to do with that. But if, if the guys, if the meat of the lineup can stay healthy, I think that the, the power and the plate discipline and another year in Link's system working with this coaching staff, I think you can see the, the offense, like you mentioned, they can really pick up. And then it's just, can the defense go to match with it? Well, I mean, the thing about the defense, we were error-prone, bad. And last year, looking at their fielding percentage, I mean, we had 69 errors on the year. I mean, I remember the year before when we played, when Link was still at Notre Dame, we played Notre Dame late in the season. Florida State, I believe, when I looked at the stats then, we were at 50 errors the year prior at that point. Notre Dame had only had 14. Golly. So that tells you what, on the defensive side, what Link kind of stresses, you know, fundamentally sound baseball. And the best way to be fundamentally sound, in my eyes, and I, like I said, I play baseball, the best way to be fundamentally sound is if they can't hit the ball. So, I mean, that relies really on your pitching staff. And like I yeah. said, the pitching staff was really a, a three, four-man, you know, rotation last year to where – this year, he's brought in 13 pitchers. Yeah. You know, I mean, and it ain't just, you know, a, a, a big slot of righties. It's it's righties and lefties and just proven people. But that's the thing is, and honestly, I'll be honest, it's I'm trying to find his name real quick. Desades, I believe is what I was. Oh, Desades. I mean, Desades. Yeah. I mean, he was your – he was – and carry on – and Jordan Carrion, they were your two error factories, honestly. I mean, they would kick the ball left and right. And, I mean, it it made me watching the game pull my hair what I had left out because I used to play the game just like you did, yeah. Yeah. you know. But when you look at it all, you know, from year one to year two, the jump that the Florida te- the football team did under Mike Norvell, we could possibly see that jump this year in the baseball team. You know, because 
when was it that you seen? I mean, I think it was like 17 portal players or whatever it was. I think it's what we got from that for baseball. You know, you don't see them kind of portal classes. I mean, right. we're top five in a portal, but that's what it's going to take. And that's what Link knows. He's got to fix that because your outfield set, you return nearly all your starters from last year. Um, you got Tibbs going back out to the outfield. You got uh, Jaime that out there, which is solid in the outfield. And, uh, I mean, you, you're looking just on the offensive side with them. Jaime was, you know, 73 hits and 22 doubles. Like you said, the double production is going to go up. The thing that I see is if, if they can get the pitching staff tightened down, Another year under Link with his just aggressive, fundamentally sound baseball mindset. You're looking at possibly another run starting for this program, kind of mimicking what Coach Martin did. Because if you look at, I mean, we always I always say compare them, the football team to the baseball team. You know, we had to we had to, the bowl record streak break. Mike Norvell's building it back. Now you're going to see Link do that same thing. And, you know, and a couple, I mean, and like I said, it all starts really on the mound. If you ain't got quality arm pieces on the mound, you you ain't going to do much. Yeah, and I think it, it you know, when you talk about the portal, everybody's mind goes straight to football. But people forget, like, that the portal is a thing. I mean, we got some of our best te- uh, players on the basketball team. You know, we got some a lot of the best players on this baseball team and the football team. It, it goes for all sports. So you can just acquire that talent that's ready to go. And I think that's a lot of what they did. Now, like we, like I mentioned earlier, their their schedule is going to be tough. You got five preseason uh, or five of your opponents this season that are preseason top twenty five. I believe Wake Forest is even number one. Uh, but you also ended the season strong. You were able to beat Wake Forest last year at the end of the season. But you talk about that pitching staff, and I think that's where I'm most excited to see the change this year. I think to start with, like we mentioned, the pitching lab will help the staff as a whole improve. Uh, that's something that Mike Capozzi had at Dallas Baptist that was that he said was a good tool that he leveraged. But I think, you know, you get Connor Whitaker back year three at Florida State. He's kind of that long distance pitcher that can give you five to eight innings. Uh, he worked more from the rotation than a starter last year because he had to because of the injuries and things like that. Um, Jamie Arnold, you bring in Noah Short, who's a sidearm pitcher. But the guy that I think is going to be a household name by the end of the year, the one that I'm most excited about is Cam Leiter. Comes in from UCF, had a had a little bit of a slow start in his freshman season, but then he really found his stuff late in the season. This is a talented guy. I mean, he can throw that kind of he, – he's already in the low to mid-90s. Uh, if he really stretches back, he can, he can hit mid to high 90s on his fastball. He has three good uh, stuff pitches with the, with the curve to change up in the slider. And if he's hitting on all of those, I mean, he also, from what you hear out of fall ball and camp and stuff – He's like that Parker Messick kind of guy where he's like he's who you want on the mound in a big Friday night game or something like that. He's got that dog mentality. He might, you know, chirp at the opposing team's dugout a little bit. You know, obviously comes from a, a high pedigree family. Oh, yeah. uh, so I think I, that's going to be the guy. I think at the end of the year, if he ends up being living up to the potential that that he, they see in him, that can be a household name for this baseball team, and he can be one of the biggest reasons why this pitching staff gets turned around in 2024. Well, yeah, he, he's a big name. He's one of the ones that I've kind of got my eye on because you said the pedigree. I mean, his uncle's Al Leiter and, and Mark Leiter. I mean, MLB legends. I mean, and just, just to throw his numbers out last year, whenever 
he was uh, at UCF, he was three and two. He had a 4.92 ERA. So that right there tells you. And 80 strikeouts in 56 and two-thirds innings pitched. That right there, I mean, if I looked on the, the pitch sheet and looked up a 4.92, yep, uh, only two. Connor Whitaker and Andrew Armstrong was our only two pitchers that had an ERA lower than that last year. So that tells you if we, you know, bringing him in on top of the other ones is going to bolster that, you know. And I read an article, Link said that, you know, it's going to be kind of a 10 to 12 arm rotation. You know, it's not going to be rely heavy on the starter, see how far he can push. It's going to be, it's going to be like chess, you know. Okay, you move here, we're going to bring this pitcher in, we can counteract that. And that's where I think, you know, Link turns it around this year is they're fixing the, the mound issue, you know, because. Years past since, I mean, even when Parker Messick was there, once you got past Parker on Friday night, yeah, Saturday, Sundays were kind of questionable on a coin flip. Right. That's why you deployed him on Friday night, because you wanted to start the series off with that win. And, and you know, you talk about what Cam Leiter did at UCF. That's as a freshman. You know, that that's yeah. right out of high school. So you give him another year of just college development. And, I mean, this is a guy that's got really elite-level stuff and could obviously be a pick in the MLB draft going forward. I fully expect that. But you bring in, like you said, you bring in a host of arms where you have that rotation, where you can you have depth, you have variety. Uh, you can start assigning some guys' roles later on. I know right now they're just kind of trying to see how guys look, listening to the link interviews. They just want to see how guys are coming out of the fall. But they said that, you know, when you looked at what they did in some of these scrimmages in the fall against Alabama and some of the other teams that they played, I mean, these guys were, were really performing at a high level against SEC competition. And so it just makes you excited about if, if the pitching staff can be – it's just like we talked about in the football part where you have a lot of these guys that have that potential. And if they can live up to that potential and you can have a, a good pitching staff, if you can get the power back in this lineup and you can bring up that the, the plate discipline, if you can eliminate the costly errors like you mentioned, there is all the potential in the world for them to have a bounce back season and to get into postseason play. You know, obviously you got a couple of you start off with Butler, you have some 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 very winnable series early on. Uh, you know, now it's you dive right in. I mean, you got Clemson, I believe, is your first ACC series. You know, again, you you have some tough ones there. You have some really talented ACC competition. But again, I think Florida State is going to have a bounce back year that, coming up this year in, uh, in baseball because Link Jarrett is a good coach. And, you know, you look at the infusion of talent that they've had, and I really think that they are going to put things together this year. Obviously, even with a tough competition, they should have a bounce back year. Now, with that being said, and you can share any final thoughts uh, on this before as we transition, you know who doesn't need to have a bounce back year? And that's Florida State softball. But I'll, I'll let you share any, any uh, final thoughts on baseball you might have. But I, I, it's more of a season primer, guys. It's not like going into the nuts and bolts. Um, I, I will give them a shout-out, man. Sunday Gold's podcast. If, if you are a baseball fanatic, go check that out. Those guys, they do a great job covering FSG baseball. We're just trying to be well-rounded here and, and kind of get, get you ready for the upcoming season and why it could be a lot better. But like we, like we just touched on. Softball doesn't need a bounce back season because they're going to be good again. I mean, yeah. uh, if I'm not mistaken, you have five players in the top 100 
uh, of the season, top 100 players in all the college softball. Uh, you bring in some talented players as well. Now, of course, you lose, you know, some you do lose a few talented pieces. Like uh, Catherine Sandercock was kind of your ace, man. I mean, that that she had nerves of freaking steel, man. When she's in that circle, nothing could rattle her. I loved watching her pitch. But you still have players like McKenna Reed and, and you, Michaela Ellenfield. So you still have those really high level players there on on the softball roster. And not to mention, they're top five in pretty much about every pole. Um, out there as well so I mean they got a lot a lot of girls who were young last year that got some experience and then you also have some some more veteran players that can lead this team so man I'm really excited about softball this year of course Lonnie Almeida you know she she is the goat of softball coaches now of course you know there's some tough competition out there Oklahoma's always a juggernaut at the end of the season but I think getting through and their season starts right away. They already had their garnet and gold scrimmage game. Uh, they have the Joanne Graff Classic coming up, where they're going to kick off the season. Then, of course, the Clearwater Invitational, which you really kind of find out how things are going to go, kind of sets the stage for the season. But you know, Jeff, I'll let you share some thoughts on this softball team. But man, this is going to be another good year for for this program. I mean, the softball team, team four one. You know, and I love that mantra. You know, the number four and the one. You know. They done everything right last year except one thing. They ch they checked everything off of that checklist except bringing home the trophy. Yep. You know, and that I think kind of stung a little. You know, you yep. were there. You know, it was just you were that close. And like you mentioned, replacing uh, a legend like Cat Sandercock. I mean, in her time, I mean, her just her senior year, she had a one point one two ERA. That's ridiculous. All right. Now, what's going to stagger you is she had a 1.12 ERA in 193 innings pitched. I mean, she had 119 strikeouts. So, you know, this season, and I'll bounce it back to you, it comes down to three questions, you know, on this. The first question, who's going to replace Cat? You know, we all know McKenna, Reed, McKenna Reed's the one's going to step up. But you also got Mac Leonard, who was your second-day starter, um, first baseman, big bat. Who's going to replace her? And then you got the other one was who's going to replace Josie Mo or uh, Muffy at, at shortstop? You know she was a human highlight reel. I don't know how many times we've seen her on Sports Center. You know that's your three questions. Your outfield is set. You know you return all three starters. You know um, on that. But I mean, who's going to replace them too? I mean, and you know you want to look first like. Who's going to replace Cat? Because that's the biggest question coming in. Yeah. And like you said, McKenna Reed is the one that's going to do that. Uh, really, I mean, she reminds me of a Megan King. And that tells you how long I've been watching softball for Florida State because Megan King is now a nurse at the Tallahassee Memorial Hospital. You know, but that's a tall task, you know. And we saw glimpses of Reed. I mean, she's a she's a fiery left-hander. I mean, she got a, a nice rise ball. But – you know, she had a 13-0 mark. She had a 0 0.97 ERA with 91 strikeouts. If that ain't somebody's going to step right into that yeah. and just knock it out of the park and be that next one, because Coach Lonnie and this staff has made a point to – they always know how to find that diamond in the rough on the, in that circle. Yeah. But, you know, who's going to come in after and be that day two is what I'm concerned with. You know, yeah. and – Honestly, you can look at Allison Royalty. She has, she was up and down last year. She um, transferred in. The one I'm looking at is a true freshman. I and think I know where you're going. That's Ashton Danley. 
Mm. Um, she was named the Tennessee Gatorade Softball Player mm. of the Year. I mean, phenomenal. I mean, she had a, I think it was like a 0.36 ERA in high school. It was ridiculous. I mean, who <laughs> yeah. has that? And she also, this is a kind of a, where they tip their hat. You know, they had their garnet and gold scrimmage this past weekend. Well, you stacked your gold team with mainly your starters is what they did. Well, who got the start for the garnet team? Danley. Danley yeah. got the start for the start for the garnet team to face the starters to see how she does. And she only allowed one run over four innings. Yeah. So that right there, if, and I'm not saying she's going to be perfect on that, but that right there, if you're going to replace Cat, you've got two right there and two right. young ones that's going to be there. Yeah, and that's the thing. When you look at McKenna Reed, she was electric last year, but you saw a couple of freshman moments where maybe she got a little rattled, she'd get into a hole. I think it's just having that experience now and, and being able to go into year two to it's not that her stuff is not good because it's elite level stuff. We saw that. I mean, you just read us the numbers. I, I think it's more where like you, what you saw with Kat Sandercock was again, like I talked about, you couldn't rattle her. You just couldn't do it. She, she was well, like, if, if the ship was sinking, you brought her in because she could stabilize the boat. Um, sometimes she would go on short rest because you just, you needed that kind of dog mentality in the circle. And so I think McKenna Reed is going to be obviously kind of your ace this year going into year two, but man, I think you hit the nail on the head with Danley. When I, when I heard her numbers, I was like, man, I didn't even know an ERA that low was possible. I mean, yeah. this, this girl is legit. So I think if she comes in and, and, you know, everybody's entitled to have freshman moments as a freshman playing in high school versus playing in college is a whole different animal. But if she can turn out to be who you want, then, then you know, you have a lot of you have someone, a young uh, one there who when you look at the she can follow the footsteps of like a McKenna Reed. And so you also have Maddie Balk. That, that's someone who's a, a sophomore as well. Like you mentioned, Allison Royalty. She's a senior now. So, so she has the experience. She has been around this program for a while. You know, and then again, like you also talk about some of the some of the power in this lineup with a Katie Dak. I mean, she is, you know, that's a power plant right there, Michaela Edenfield. So you know the offense is gonna be there. Um, just looking, you know, looking through some of the names that 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 you recognize, you know, coming back, that's gonna make you feel good. And they also get the new ones. I mean, Devin Flaherty comes in as a senior. How she didn't make the top 100 list, uh, the, I don't know. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. I, that's I, that's right up there with the snub. Exactly. Like, <laughs> right. That's a softball version of the snub. Like, how she doesn't make that, I don't get it. Kaylee Harding, uh, that's another really, really talented uh, player there. Uh, Jahani Kerr, she's another power hitter as well. I mean, again, I, I'm, I am the least bit worried about them putting the ball over the fence. Um, obviously, you got Way Caser that comes back as well. Yes. So you have the core. It's just like you said, how do you replace those? couple of little pieces that were really elite level stuff for you but i think that you have the pieces there it's just again it's kind of like with the football like we talked about you have some pieces that you you see the potential it's there it's written on the wall it's just will they shine in the big moments now you know that you have some pieces that you can turn to the ones we already talked about those are the ones that that you know like you know on, on that big series when the crowd is loud and all this stuff is going on you can trust them in the ring you can trust them at the plate but you need some of the, the some of the younger players some of the maybe the little more unknown players to step up in the moment but like you mentioned, man, when you talk about just the, the scouting and the development of this program from the coaching staff that they have and Lonnie Almeida, who is, you know, one of the top softball coaches in the country. And, you know, shout out to 
um, Michael Alford for being able to fend off because there was plenty of SEC programs that were that tried to poach her and they were able to stay. You know, they made some commitments. They they've done some renovations both at baseball and softball. They got the new deck out in the outfield, which is pretty cool to see too. Now you better keep your head down if you're out there because you know they're going to be sending a few balls that way because they got some power. Oh, yeah. But I think this is going to be a team that is going to be the favorite to win the ACC coming into the season and then obviously to make the Women's College World Series. It's just, you know, again, like you mentioned, you were so close last year that it, it had to hurt that you weren't able to capitalize. But, you know, again, man, I mean, Oklahoma is like – juggernaut it's like primetime mm -hmm. alabama it's like a nick saban alabama team so you're yeah. gonna have to overcome that uh but if i'm not mistaken didn't their best pitcher she transferred out i think she went to go play for for a hometown team um yeah I, nebraska I, she's in nebraska yeah. now yeah so like maybe that's that's a way that you could overcome them and you've seen them now you know what i mean you've went out there you faced them you've seen them you know the challenge that's at hand and by that time, the end of the season, you should have your development. You should know who you can rely to in the ring and all that stuff. But, man, I think it's just going to be another great year for the softball team. You know, we saw the year before that. It was a little disappointing how they got eliminated a little bit early, but that team was still super talented. But, man, they, they, this roster is still loaded. And uh, I'm looking for them to, again, win the ACC and make a deep run into the tournament. And, and, you know, you just have to love the softball team. They carried us through some dark times, you know, when, when men's sports weren't doing too good. They carried they carried the weight, so I, I'm super excited to see them in 2024. And and uh, you know, again, their their season is starting right around the corner. So um, I don't know if you have any final thoughts to share on the softball team, but uh, you know that that's pretty much just kind of our primer. Just talking about giving you an idea more of what's at stake for them, what's coming up, some of the names that you need to know, some of the talent on that roster, and some of the expectations. And you know, we went through a lot of them. Again, you know, you. Kaylee Mudge, we didn't even touch on her. That's a very yeah. experienced outfielder. And you just have – what I like about this team, Jeff, is you have a lot of experience who have been in those big moments, and then you also bring in a lot of young talent, and you have some young talent that were freshmen last year that got a chance to get that in-game experience, and now they can be some of the pieces to lean on in this. And then you also have the young players you bring in as freshmen and stuff like that that you know are going to – I mean, again, when you talk about uh, the pitcher we just talked about, I mean, that, that's elite-level stuff. So if you can get everybody on the same page and everybody to, to hit their stride, this team's going to be extremely dangerous. Yeah. And, and they are there. I mean, me, honestly, I see, you know, even with Cat, with Mac, with Allie DeBose, who the, all three pitchers was your top three pitchers last year has left. Um, just to throw out the numbers with them, three pitchers last year, you're losing 36 wins. Yeah. Um, 11 saves and 200 strikeouts. So, like I said, with what's coming in, you got to look at like uh, you got McKenna Reed, you got a, uh, Balk, both two highly brought in pitchers that's got a year under their belt already in the program. You bring in um, Darty and um, I want to say her name is Mim to come into the program to, you know, to grow and develop. We know the power is going to be there. I mean, as long as yeah. you got uh, Michaela Edenfield behind the plate and able yeah. to hit, you know, the power is going to be there. You know, uh, Devin's going to be, Devlin's going to be hitting the uh, doubles and, you know, it's, it's just, I'm, I think this team right here is going to make a deep run again because to kind of circle back to the football team on, on it, because, you know, that's what everybody loves to hear about anyway. Um, you look at the difference when they lost the year before in the supers to what they done this past year. 
they were kind of disrespected. They knew they they fell short. Yep. You know, you look at the football team. You know, they fell short. They're kind of disrespected. It all goes hand in hand. But this team with the what Coach Alameda is bringing back in, the amount of power, the amount of depth, and the arms. And she's done said, you know, it's going to be multiple girls, just like the baseball. It's going to be a rotation. And what I love about them is she actually uses something from the major leagues that the Tampa Bay Devil Rays used in 2018. Where, and that's why we've seen Kat so much is because she'll have not her starter start a game, but she'll have like her day two starter start the first game and a couple innings, then bring her starter in to push the depth. Yeah. And you see that, that keeps your arms fresh. I mean, honestly, there ain't much we can sit here and criticize or, you know, no, talk about no. on this one because they're so loaded. I mean, you can't, right. Right. I mean, there's, they bring back everybody really except for three pieces. And, right you found replacements for those three pieces. So, yeah, I think the offense, right. I I think the offense, the defense, and and of course the coaching is obviously there. I think with softball, it's like, you'll go as far as your pitching will take you. And, 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 you know, as long as the, as long as the the pieces that are replacing those top three pitchers, like you mentioned, can step in and step up. The sky is the limit for this team. It's just, you know, how far can your pitching take you? And and I think, you know, you already saw, like you mentioned, in the Garnet Gold game, you've got an amazing performance against your starters from a freshman. So if she turns out to be something special, and and the the ones we already talked about it, if they can all produce at a high level, you feel really good about it. And, you know, like you mentioned, man, I, I think there is something to be said in college sports about playing with a chip on your shoulder. And that's what makes college so much fun because they do get into it. And, you know, they, I mean, Softball has become one of my favorite sports to watch because, I mean, they talk smack. They let each other hear it. They get fierce and, and you know, out on the field. It, it's it's not necessarily a gentleman's game. I mean, they – they or gentlewoman's game or whatever, however you want to say it. Like, they get fired up. And so it's, it's really fun to watch. So I encourage everybody – to make sure to check out FSU softball uh, coming up. Of course, you can find their schedule online. Uh, They are getting in action real soon. Baseball is just over a week away. They will be back as well. But we wanted to give you guys just a general idea of what you can expect coming up the season from both of those programs, as well as have a fun discussion uh, from the Florida State football perspective on why they can have a good season too. Because, man, you know, right now the vibe around Florida State is is very good. I mean, you have – a lot of big projects going underway and a lot of positivity going on across multiple programs. You know, we might be looking for a new ba- uh, basketball coach next year, but that's neither here nor there. Well, that, that's a subject for another day. Uh, but, Ward. Right. Hey, <laughs> let's make it happen. But, you know, again, man, I, I just think when you look at, when you look at the hard ball sports, the round ball sports, I mean, there, there's reason to be optimistic this year, especially with softball. I mean, there's reason to be optimistic with them every year, but uh, with that being said, guys, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here. I appreciate Jeff uh, joining me for this episode and, and kind of helping us get through this baseball preview. You'll be seeing more of him going forward. He's going to be helping us out here at plant to spear he has his own page over at champions way sports on facebook you guys make sure to check that out as well um you know it's definitely going to be getting some things going over on his page and he's going to be helping us out like i said so i appreciate jeff uh stepping in today and, and helping us get this out for you guys hopefully you enjoyed this episode if you watched until this point drop a like and subscribe i would surely appreciate it if you're listening in podcast form you know, I don't, you guys know, I don't ever really ask for this, but you know, a rate and review would be great. If you could give us five stars on whatever platform you listen to, that just helps us reach a wider audience. And, you know, 2024 is going to be a big year for us and a big year for Florida State. We've got some exciting announcements uh, that we'll be making real soon. But with that being said, guys, we are going to wrap it up here. So thank you so much for tuning in. 
Uh, make sure to check out Alumni Hall, our title sponsor for this episode. Support those that support us. We always appreciate that. Use code SPEAR to get 10% off. Go get you some new FSU gear. It's a new season. You always need new gear uh, to look fresh. And, and you know, hopefully we'll see you guys at the spring game. Uh, looks like it's going to be April 20th. They still haven't dropped the official date, but everybody pretty much says it's April 20th. I will be there. Hopefully I can meet up with you uh, with some of you guys when we get down there. But um, as always, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Thank you for your continued support of Plant the Spear. And with that being said, we'll wrap it up here. Thank you, Jeff. And go All right, buddy. Y'all can go Knowles.